it should be happening now. I don't want to waste another generation. I definitely don't want to waste another generation of quality players. I don't want to waste another generation of quality coaches. The time is now. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, so now me and Z are joined by Butch Fazal, who is the Coach Inclusion and Diversity Manager at the FA. Welcome, Butch. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on, Z. Uh, Salam alaikum, bravo and apu. Good to, good to meet you. Fantastic. So how long have you been with the FA for? Uh, five years. Uh, no, they're coming to the sixth year now. So my sixth year, the um, uh, the first two, the first two and a half years were as a um, coach developer. So my my remit at that point in time was to um, uh, deliver qualifications up to UEFA B uh, in and around the Bedfordshire area because that was where I was the county coach developer. And then, um, and then a couple of years ago, uh, I, I I I got the opportunity to be promoted to become their coach, inclusion and diversity manager, which I've been, which I've now been doing for nearly three years. Okay, I think we uh, we'll delve into that a little bit more. But first, let's go back a little bit. Could you tell us about your journey into football? How you started? What were you doing? Were you playing? Were you coaching? And I guess what? Just tell us what your journey was to get to this point. Well, it's a long one, so I hope you've got a bit of time. Um, you know, I, I go back five decades. Uh, I, I was, I was, uh, I, you know, I came, I came here as a, uh, uh, as my mum came, uh, mum and dad came as economic migrants in the, in the early sixties, and that's when I was born as well. And uh, I suppose the backdrop to my first sort of like um, first few years of my experience with football was that you know the backdrop was a, 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 a far right. Um, you know, pretty, pretty sort of racist uh, football background in which I, I, I was brought up in. I, I wanted to, I wanted to play, but I also recognised that, you know, when I looked out there, there wasn't many that looked like me when I did want to play. So it was quite, uh, it was, it, it, it was quite an introduction. Having whereabouts, said that, Whereabouts did you grow up? Sorry? Whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up, I'm Luton, so Luton, you know, okay. um, my yeah. So uh, I've uh, I, I've I've lived here most of my life. I, I I know you always like to ask what team I support, but I'll go into that in a little while. Um, but I I must say that um, you know that those first sort of like first formative years were, were were seeing people that didn't look like me in the game. So even when I wanted to play, um, it, it it was it was a challenge. Uh, then having said that, I, I went through a, a phase where I had a playing career as well and I enjoyed I, I, I enjoyed incredibly the opportunity to play football uh, for a number of reasons. But um, one of the key ones was that, you know, I had a lot of friends around me and we had a uh, we had we had a commonality in football that that actually uh, bonded us um, uh, regardless of uh, of where we were at that time. Uh, the experiences that I had at that time uh, definitely shaped me. Um, I, I played until uh, uh, the early uh, my early thirties, and and then I recognised that um, uh, I was going, I was getting slower and going further and further back in the field. So um, uh, I 
I ended up right back behind the goal as opposed to right back on the pitch. And so then it, I recognised that it was it was time to maybe look at um, a, a different area of football because I always wanted to be involved. I, I, I like to think that when I when I played, um, I, I I hope I hope I should uh, I demonstrated a few leadership qualities. And I think coaching was the natural step for me. So then I went into coaching, you know, um, took all my badges uh, of, of, of qualified um, up to the A licence and, uh, you know, had a had an incredible coaching coaching journey in which I, I, I developed a football club in, in Luton, uh, which which I'm proud to say from from the club that, uh, that, that myself and there were a couple of other founder members developed, we've we, we've. I think there's there's hundreds of, of of coaches that have come from it, but more importantly, also a number of different clubs that have come from it as well. And I'm I'm really quite proud to look back at the legacy that I've left in Luton and in Bedfordshire around the amount of not only South Asian coaches and kids that are playing, but also just communities that are that are playing because of um, some of the work that we uh, that we laid that laid the foundation for, um, and. Uh, you know, uh, my my journey. Uh, you know, I said to you that my um, my experiences uh, have always my, my uh, everything that I am uh, have been shaped by my experiences. And I think that you know, as I as I got further into football and also into coaching, I recognised that you know there were a there were a number of stubborn inequalities within the game that I felt I wanted to address. And um, you know, an example we, of a couple of those at the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, the opportunities within the professional game. You know, when you're when you're when you're qualified as as a coach and you're looking to break into the professional game, um, you know, I was I was as qualified, if not better qualified, than a number of coaches out there that were applying for positions. And uh, you know, it was difficult to get a foot into the professional game at the time. And so, um, recognizing that and understanding, trying to understand and deconstruct why it was that that was happening was really important to me. Uh, and so. You know, from 2000 and I think 2010, I became chair of the uh, National Asians in Football Forum, which was an organisation of like minded people that were looking at the issues of underrepresentation of South Asians within the game. Um, and, and I I say 2010, it was probably 2005 because I think I was chair for around a decade. And then uh, then I got the opportunity to join the organisation in 2015. So throughout that, that, that journey, um, it has been... Uh, it's it, it's been what what we might call a bit of a roller coaster. Um, there've been a, a, a you know a few ups and there've been many downs. And I think where I've learned most of my lessons is when I've had the setbacks. But I've also what I've recognised is that um, you know if on this journey, I think the most important thing for me right now is to is to maybe share my experiences and share my thoughts. And that's the reason why you know I was I was happy to come on um, to this podcast, Apu, and and talk to you, Z and. And Kevil, who I ha- I've heard a lot of, and now I can actually see, which is really good. Morning, Kevil. Morning, mate. How are you? Good, good thank you. Apologies for my tardiness. Cool. <laughs> cool. But just talking a little bit, but going back a little bit to the National Asians in Football Forum. What? So why were they set up, um, and what were their aims and objectives, and how far do you think they actually got? So it was set up through um, Jazz Baines, uh, Piara Power. Piara was kick it out at the time, uh, leader kick it out. And and Jazz uh, had written a, a book around um, uh, the underrepresentation of Asians, uh, a misgeneration. And I think that, you know, we, we, we come together to recognise that, you know, there's a lot more like-minded people 
uh, like us who were talking about these issues uh, back in 2005, back in 1995 when Jazz initially uh, wrote a, a report. Uh, and I think that, you know, when we when we look back at, at, at those uh, at those times in particular, we were we, we were fighting against some pretty overt, um, open uh, uh, discriminatory practice and even racism uh, at the time. And so, you know, recognising that the game wasn't open to all uh, was something that we wanted to address. And uh, we felt at the time it was important to, um, you know, to come forward uh, and and hopefully amplify the voice of South Asian, uh, the South Asian experience, which I think in, in many ways we, we did. Um, but, you know, it's like anything, uh, it, any any sort of behavioral change that you want in society is going to take time so you know we 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 took the option of going down the route of um uh, of, of calling it out for what it was you know and uh and and i think we did that with not only um the fa but also with with, with clubs who we felt had a social and moral responsibility to have a game that was not only free of discrimination, but also have a game that was equal and had a level playing field, uh, which it clearly wasn't at the time. Okay, so, and then you've moved to the FA in 2015. So how was that for you in terms of going in? Did you, look, I know you weren't a young man at the time, no offence, but did you think you're going to go in there and and change a system? Did you recognise what the FA and the, the struggles that they had or did you were you do you think you're a little bit naive in retrospect in terms of how quickly change could happen and what it entailed? No, I went in there with a clear agenda. Uh, I went in with a clear agenda to um to 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 bring the best version of myself first of all to the organization. And then uh for the organization to recognize that, you know, when uh when when they uh employ uh a diverse uh uh a, a diverse workforce that Ultimately, the the organisation also needs to look at itself and ask itself whether they can then develop environments in which they can not only uh, employ that diverse workforce, but also retain them and promote them. And they've proved over the years that I've been there in particular that, you know, they the the organisation recognises um, hopefully potential and then more importantly, realises talent, uh, which is really, really important. Uh, so I went in there uh with a clear, you know, I, you're right. Um, you know, I wasn't, I, I'm not a young man. Um, but what I do have though, is I suppose I have a lot of, uh, different coaching experiences and, and I brought that to the table. And the most important thing is that, you know, the FA at the time recognized the, the work that I was doing. Um, I had a particular expertise in diversity and inclusion. Um, and although I went in there as a coach developer with a, a clear remit to develop coaches in, in the Bedfordshire area, uh, which was my remit at the time. I also knew that, you know, I had a, um, uh, a sort of like national overview of what was happening, uh, especially around black and Asian um, coach development. And, and my remit as coach inclusion and diversity manager is to, and a, a top line remit would be uh, to address the significant underrepresentation of black and Asian coaches and females within the professional talent pathway. So I, um, my, my remit starts at UA for B and goes up to the pro license. And I would support a number of players that are coming out of the game who are transitioning into coaching and also support, you know, aspirational and, uh, and driven um, black and Asian coaches and females who are looking to work, work in the, in the talent pathway in the men's game. So I have a, I, I have a, 
uh, a colleague that that does exactly the same in the women and girls game. But my area uh, around DNI diversity and inclusion is is race uh, is is ethnicity and gender, uh, and it would be in the professional game. And so you know I I get daily probably two or three calls from uh, from coaches asking um, what what that what what that pathway looks like, what that journey looks like, and how they can you know for most want to become the best version of themselves but more importantly uh most want to become managers of man united which is a real shame really being being as that i, I want them all to become arsenal managers there you go i've given away the team i support <laughs> now okay um so okay so tell me if you can what does a typical day for you involve? Let's imagine that COVID doesn't exist or it's in the pre-COVID world. Oh, yeah, I know. I was going to say most of it. Yeah, now now it's slightly different. It's front of a laptop. Listen, you know, I think that it's I I I love what I do. Um, I don't see it as a, as a chore in any shape or form. I think to get the opportunity to be in a in, in a change uh in in a change environment in which you're trying to influence and build relationships is fantastic so you know a usual uh, a usual day if it wasn't if it wasn't um covid would be that um uh, once or twice in the week I'll I'll drive up to St George's Park um uh, have a number of meetings with a a number of colleagues around um this this, this key area uh, I work, as I said, I work in a professional game, so I'll, I'll always be talking to a number of coach developers who who are working in the clubs around um, that that potential talent that's there. But also um, uh, working quite closely uh, at identifying the, the the talent that comes through. So we have a, a big grassroots team uh, which is headed by um, Steve. Well, John Folwell heads the whole of the grassroots team, but we have a we have a certain area that that looks at diversity and inclusion. So we have eight coach diversity and inclusion officers now that have just come into come into uh, place from last year, and their remit is to look at um, developing the talent that identifying the talent that's coming through. So they would, they would probably pick up coaches in and around the playmaker and level one and level two space or, or, or the new UEFA C space as it's being called now. And then what will happen is that they'll pass them. Uh, and those who are, who are looking at the UEFA B and trying to get into the professional pathway, they pass them on to me. So a number of conversations with them, a number of conversations with coaches on a daily basis, talking about where they are, what they want to do and how they're going to get there. So my, uh, you know, uh, as well as um, as well as players that have uh, that have finished the game, uh, loads and loads of conversations around uh, you know uh, what what their aspirations are. More importantly, how I can support and develop them, uh, and 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 obviously, you know, from a professional and a personal development perspective as well. I think that's really important. And, and you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm I'm there to uh, build a diverse talent pipeline for the game that's uh, the most important thing so i'm i'm there to uh build those relationships with a number of our external stakeholders as well so uh as well as us who who govern the game and have the gift of qualifications uh we have the pfa that have the players uh, and uh, and the union we have the um epl the english premier league and we we talk to them on a regular basis around the work that they're doing around diversity and inclusion the efl which is the English Football League, looks after the other 71 um, clubs and runs the competitions. And then ultimately the League Managers Association, who who I work closely with around um, what what that coaching and that manager's journey looks like. So, 
you know, uh, uh, never, any any one day is never the same. Uh, there's always a different conversation. Um, and But the most important thing is, uh, you know, we're talking football. And I also uh, get the opportunity to to support those coaches on the grass. So I, I get out there. I, I watch them coach. I, you know, I, I, I look at their, I, I look at their environments. I share, share my views and, and share their views and, and really look to um, develop and support them um, to, to hopefully get them to where they want to get to. But I think the one thing that we've realized more than anything, especially around coach development is that um, there's a real philosophical conversation around um, because there's a regulatory framework around certain qualifications required to work in, in certain places, I think there's a more of a philosophical uh, philosophical conversation around: um, is it always about you know having this quals culture, or is it actually about developing coaches to develop players? Because ultimately, that's what it's about. It's about developing the best people and the best players. Because ultimately, especially for the FA, you know, we want them to be the best English grown players they are because we want to win a World Cup, and that's the bottom line. The bottom line is that's the bigger vision about win, winning a World Cup. And our part in FA education in particular, especially around coach development, it is to have a personalised and connected attachment to those coaches to recognise where they currently are, what their current needs are and how we can develop programmes to enable them to become the best coaches they can be so as they can develop the best players that we can have in the game, which will ultimately lead to success on a, on a national, uh, from a national perspective. I just ask, historically, what do you think has been the main barrier on the coaching side to Asians and Blacks making it more in, in the professional game? Yes, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a fair question. And I think that, you know, I, I kind of like, I'm, I'm asked that question on a regular occasion. So I kind of, uh, so what I decided to do is I, I put a, a little bit of an acronym together, which I called it RUN, but there's lot, there's there's probably a couple of R's in there probably two U's and two N's. So the first two R's to answer it is whether we like it or not. Okay. We can't get away from the R word, which is racism. Now it might not, it might not look over any longer. And, um, but what, what it might look like is um, it's more discriminatory practice as opposed to racism now, but it's calling out, calling it out for what it is, is really, really important. And then I think also recruitment is another one. So um, we need to look at recruitment, practices are they transparent are they accountable um the the u in that acronym of run is uh is firstly unconscious bias uh, and i think that you know there's there's a number of uh a, a number of people within the decision making process that probably have got these unconscious biases and and one of the ways that we have to mitigate it is by is by surrounding people with more diverse uh, not d- diverse thoughts and probably diverse thinking and i think what what that offers us is that it mitigates that unconscious bias because there's others asking why would you select x or y as opposed to z and and i think it's really important um i think also when we look at the underrepresentation of black and asian uh coaches but also females within the professional game we need to look at what what kind of roles they are going for so if they are academy if they're going for academy uh, coaching roles for example okay um and then the other you is un- unsociable hours and and pretty much uh, uh, uh you know you you become an academy coach wherever it might be uh you're looking at you know you're looking at 75 hours and and, and plus your weekends and so you know for many it's more of a vocation when it comes to developing players 
And I think that we recognize that, you know, we're probably not paying um, coaches, especially coaches in the in the professional game, what actually they, they deserve. And, and, and it is an area that we need to look at a, a little bit closer. But I think they, those conversations are being had as well, which is really, really important. I think the two ends that I w- I'm, I'm referencing are networking and nepotism. So ultimately, at the end of the day, okay, like any other business, um, uh, you know, that, that nepotism will come, in, come into play. I think it's uh, a little bit more exaggerated when it comes to football, though, um, and it does feel like that. You know, if you've if you've if you've had a professional career and you you know you've built relationships within the game, then that will leave you in good stead. And then we have grassroots coaches who probably haven't had any of that and and are still trying to break into the professional game. So networking is crucial, and I think that you know uh, we we have probably a. Uh, a, a pretty so, sort of like there's a maturity of network when when you've been in the game for a number of decades and 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 opposed to that is the immaturity of maybe our networking within the game and we probably don't know enough people because you know like, like any like any business it's not what you know it's it's ultimately who you know so um when i use that acronym i say you can either run towards uh, the solution or run away from the problem um it's up to you how you want to um want to do that but that's the that's the that's the question i leave with uh, a number of organizations i think also in the change in the change environment that we're in and especially for me when i'm trying to influence a number of different organizations around the importance of dni uh diversity and inclusion i kind of i look at it from three aspects i look at the the moral argument the legal argument and the business argument and i think that if we if we start if we start with the why why is it that you would do it in the first place we do it because you know everyone wants just to have a fair crack at it really let's be honest about it everyone wants to get to the line everyone recognizes that especially in the professional games competition um but i think that it right now okay it's a it's a bit of an unfair competition when um some will start on the line and 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 if you're black or asian you'll probably start 10 meters um before the start line and if you're black asian and female you'll probably start 20 meters behind and so what my projects and my uh um, um, what my programs and initiatives do is recognize the gaps in between and you know i was i was asked recently uh, if you was to tell a seven-year-old um in one sentence what your role is my role is to get everyone to the start line and then ultimately to go on the b of the bank and if everyone can go on the b of the bank we're there and I think that's when we'll recognise that a lot of the positive action programmes that, that I'm currently uh, running will enable coaches to go on the beer of the bank. And if they do, then it's competition and everyone can have a good crack at it. But we need to get everyone to the line first. And I, I think that's what a number of the external, uh, you know, everyone in football, uh, uh, around football, all the five organisations, the FA, the EPL, the EFL, the LMA, um, and the PFA all recognize that um, we're just now trying to develop a, a level playing field. So that, you know, when, when black, co- when black players who have had an incredible career in the game are going to get a fair crack at, um, uh, at management and recognizing that South Asians in particular, and I, and I heard Sanjay on your, uh, on your call and a couple of others, uh, Sanjay in particular talking about um, uh, South Asians being the, uh, uh, the biggest statistical uh, anomaly in English football. And, and in many ways, I absolutely do agree with him. But I have another uh, another line around, um, we've always been on uh, the football menu, but we've never been served at the table. But I think now we, we're on that menu and we are being served. And I think the reason for that is because of people like yourselves as well, 
talking up the issue, but also, you know, those inside the organisation recognising that in the past, recognising that, you know, we, we probably haven't done as well as we can do in this area. And and now with, especially with some of our strategies, especially our time for change and our, our great objective around a game free of discrimination, it's enabling us to look to see how we can now level that playing field, which is what it's all about. Abdul, I just wanted to go back quickly to um, the the nepotism and the networking argument. Yeah, Kevin, thank you so much for calling me Abdul. My my, God, my mum, God rest her soul, would be so happy right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, go for it, Kevin. No, I just wanted to ask about the nepotism and the networking side of things. Um, most football clubs would argue that um, a degree of nepotism is needed within academy and gra- maybe grassroots and also professional games as well, um, because coaches who have experience in certain environments are able to be relatable to players. So do you think that, I suppose, coaches who have been involved in certain clubs and have those pre-existing relationships would be important to be a good coach in certain environments or do you think it should just merely be based off competence okay it's a great question I don't know whether you've answered it yourself actually to be honest with you okay but I would say this is that um I think everyone everyone can bring something different to the party and and what we get when we when we look at especially coaches that uh, come from a diverse background in particular, when we look at the numbers, uh, especially in and around um, the say the professional development phase in in in, in academies, you recognise that you know it's becoming the playing workforce is becoming more and more diverse. And then I think your 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 piece around experience is absolutely critical. But this is the question that I often pose. When, when we're asked that, you know, we want, we want it to be a meritocracy rather than meritocracy. And, and I think it's really important there is a meritocracy. But we've also got to recognise, OK, that um, actually the experiences that a number of those coaches have got has been because of where they've been and who they've been associated with. And then subsequently they get into those incredible environments where there's, the, you know, where there's this great learning, there's great players that you're working with, you're recognising what to do technically, tactically, psychologically, socially. You're absolutely right across it, but you're getting exposed to those environments. And my argument is a simple one, um, is that um, unless you're exposed to those environments, so I've been exposed to, you know, those environments over the last five years within the FA. And what I've recognised is the more I surround myself with people who have got those experiences and they're sharing sharing them with me, I'm growing and developing. But I would never have grown and developed if I wasn't in those environments. So the argument is that, yes, you're right. We we can continue to have the um, those experienced people with within uh, within those uh, within those spaces. But if 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 we're ultimately going to look at what what true um opportunities and and realizing potential of everyone within uh, within the game is then we need to make sure that we've got enough space to mentor and develop the next the next generation of coaches that are going to come through and what my argument is simple is that for for black and asian coaches and female coaches um they need to be exposed to those environments if they're exposed to those environments they'll learn and they'll develop and and and, you know, you're going to be a product of your environment. And if you're in and around people who have who've been at it for an, uh, a number of decades and they're prepared to share their experiences, you're only going to get better. And that's the only way we're going to get better. So my my piece around the club placement program, for example, that I've got at the moment, you know, we've got 15 club placements 
in 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 twelve clubs at the moment. Seven of them Premier Premier League clubs. One of them West Ham. Apu, you'd be you'd be happy to hear. So, like when you think right that you know they're in those clubs at the moment, they're getting a season long experience of, of what it's like in, in in those environments. What they're doing is they're getting this invaluable experience of. You know how how do they coach in the foundation, the youth development? How do they coach in professional development phase? More importantly, they're networking in those environments as well. And and then um, with that same placement program, we have regular week. Uh, we we will have a monthly or a weekly get together with not only the club placements but also the clubs themselves, where they're delivering different webinars. And what what these coaches are telling me and these club placements are telling me that this just opened their eyes to exactly what's required. Um, and, and and also the opportunities that they've received. And I think that if we look at it like that, and, and so when I when I went in and 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 they get uh, and I was given the remit of okay, Butch, look at the space. Tell me what 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 are your thoughts on it. Obviously, my first six months were around just trying to get to know people. But then what I did was I built what I call the five E's, and and the five E's are really important because what it does is that it gives me a foundation to actually how we can have a step change. So the first one's evidence. So we've got to be research-led and data-informed. So we've got to have evidence. So when we're going in there, we have a lot of anecdotal experiences of what it's been like to be discriminated against and all the rest of it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you come with um, a data, uh, you're, you're data-informed, you're research-led, and you're quoting um, certain pieces of research to tell you that this is what it is. The second thing is, once I recognised what the research and data was out there, what it was telling me, okay, was that, from an, uh, uh, the next E is education. So we know we've got to get qualified. You know, it's a regulatory framework. If we want to get into the professional game, we need to get our qualifications. So I, over the four year, uh, over the last two years of the program, we've had a UEFA B bursary program, which has been run for four years now, in actual fact. In that time, that was that was actually looking at um, black and Asian and minority ethnic coaches and females and giving them a 90% bursary towards their UEFA B. And so over the last four years, we've we've qualified nearly over 300 black and Asian and female coaches. So we know now that we've got them in the system. Once they get the qualification, the next piece that they always ask for is, you know, it's a bit like going to university and getting a degree. And then uh, and then you end up working at McDonald's because you can't work your degree. There's no point in the piece of paper if you can't work it. So the next two E's for me were education and exposure. Sorry, exposure and experience. So really, really important, okay, was that we needed to give them the experience in in the game and also we need to expose them to those environments. And the final E is employability. And I didn't say, uh, and and when I say employability, I used to have that E as employment. What I've recognised very quickly, okay, is that we can't guarantee anyone employment. Once you get to the line, it's a race. So I develop employability skills. I make them more employable. And so for me, those five E's underpin all the work that I do with all the coaches that I support. And I hope that, you know, with the coaches that I'm supporting and developing, they're recognising that they're not only getting my experiences, but I'm I'm actually um, giving them an opportunity to be exposed to uh, a professional football environment, which ultimately will, will lead to them hopefully um, going in and having just as good a chance as anyone else. And I think that's that's kind of, and I apologise, Kevin. It's a, it was a long answer to a to a simple question, but I hope that from the uh, from that piece around um, nepotism, okay, and uh, and the networking piece, I hope those five E's can recognise how we can actually 
navigate through the journey and through the system to ensure that we get we get a fair fair crack at it as well, which is what it's about. I think there's another E to add to that, uh, Abdul, is uh, expectation. So with any any schemes or initiatives that you do, <clears throat> excuse me, there's always been a case of this is going to be that golden egg or that moment that's going to change things drastically. And sometimes change doesn't work like that. You know, in the See, past, there's no silver bullet. Yeah, there's no silver bullet. You know, it's one thing. Five decades in the game, right? Uh, playing and uh, and coaching. There's no silver bullet. What we what we can do though, and I and and I, I think it's really important. Okay, is that we can recognise the work that others have done in the past few decades. Well, sometimes, okay, we don't acknowledge um, the the shoulders of the giants that we've we're, we're actually on at the moment. You know, there are a number of people that came before me there'll be a number of people that will come after me. I'm just a custodian of this position at the moment. And all I'd like to do, okay, is develop a legacy in which we can um, enable the next generation of, of South Asian uh, coaches and, and black coaches and female coaches to come through and recognize that, you know, they, that, you know, that, that the hopes and ambitions like anyone uh, in, in football can have can be realized by everybody. And, and I think that, you know, recognizing that, you know, the, you're, that, that you are only a custodian of the position, uh, but also recognising that that burden of responsibility on, on me currently is to look at how the system works and how we deconstruct a system that in the past has not enabled us to come through and then probably dismantle some of the processes in which we can then enable us to move forward. On the back of some of the stuff you're saying, I mean, we've discussed this on the podcast and we, we've, me and Z and Z with his Desi Ballers thing has, has discussed all of those things previously. One of the main sort of kickbacks I get, there's a real conviction out there that football already is a meritocracy. How have you managed to persuade the clubs or what challenges also are you facing with the clubs to take on board what you're saying you said there has been a change and people are realizing um how do you get how did you get to that if you look if we look at the top end of the game okay and we know that the average tenure of a of a, of a manager is going to be 15 months right if you recognize that you're only going to be in there 15 months you know that you need to get a team around you that you can trust if you don't get a team around that you can trust, you're going to end up um, actually, uh, you know, out of the door even before 15 months. So when you look at how, um, uh, especially at the top end of the game, how managers maybe put together their their staff, they do want to to have somebody that they can have around them they can trust. Otherwise, relationships will fall down. You'll lose the changing room early doors and you'll be out the door. So we're talking top end now, Apu. We're not talking um, anywhere else, okay? So then when you recognise that and you recognise that's the culture of, uh, of the industry, how do you then get to a point where you start influencing leaders and, and head coaches and managers around what a diverse workforce looks like? So then th- this is where you, you, you come back to the fact that, you know, what is your marginal gain? What is your competitive advantage? So and, and your marginal game and competitive advantage in this space would be that, you know what, if you surround yourself with a more diverse workforce and you know that, um, that the demographics are changing a lot quicker than the attitudes. So the demographics of this uh, of, of the football industry is changing a lot quicker than the attitudes. So we know that we, we've got a diverse um, playing workforce that's coming through. 
and, and you need to have those connections with that with that playing workforce as well. So in many respects, if I'm talking to the academies and how around what diversification looks like within the academies around the workforce, I think there's more of a will and a commitment now than there's ever been before. What the Football Leadership Diversity Code that has just been released by the FA, what the No Room for Racism Equality Plan that has just been released by the EPL is telling us is that we've got to be more bold and more ambitious in our target setting. And we've got to recognise that we we need to develop uh, opportunities for everyone within the game. And I think that in the past, whereas um, we've we've always seen it as a, as a white male dominated industry, I think there's a real recognition and a commitment now that actually, you know, um, there, there is room uh, for diversity within the game. And more importantly, I think leaders are recognising the importance of, of that change as well. And so when we're getting advocacy from the top and we're getting, you know, we're and, and, and you know, I, I recognise that sometimes statements are statements and actions are, are completely different. But I think they're matching up now in many respects. And, and that's because we have a compelling argument around why, why it's really important to, to, to have a diverse workforce. So when I'm talking to clubs now, it's more of an open door. Whereas in the past, if you go back two decades, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't even got to the front garden, let alone got to the door. So I'm in a, we're in a better place, and and the reason why we're in a better place is because there's a true recognition out there that you know there's a number of talented people out there that probably have not had opportunities in the past. But if we develop the right environment within our own clubs and our own organisations, we'll really reap the benefits of what uh, what diversity and in- inclusion can offer. And I think that there's, uh, and, and I do think that we're, you know, from, a, from the perspective of looking forward, there's more hope around what behavioural change looks like and what a cultural shift looks like in the game. But it's going to take time. Having said that, I think there's the fact that we've got bold and ambitious targets is telling us that, you know, clubs have to get into line a lot quicker than they have in the past. So you mentioned targets. What are these bold and ambitious targets? Well, you know, you you, know, you only have to look at uh, what the Football Leadership Diversity Code is looking at, 25% black and Asian coaches within uh, academies within the next uh, five years. Uh, you know, but that would be dependent on, um, obviously, geographical location as well. So we wouldn't expect sleep, the sleepy South Coast that is predominantly white to have 25% black and Asian coaches. But we would look at clubs in, in the Midlands to ask themselves, well, does your, does your demographics um, uh, reflect what your uh, academy work for? looks like and what happens with those those targets and those uh, is that the, the the clubs that have signed up to these uh, to the code will will now uh, you know be supported to develop a more diversified workforce and it's the same with the uh, no room for racism uh, equality plan around looking at out what it looks like in boardrooms what it looks like at a leadership level as well and so those are the types of targets okay that we can actually hold clubs to account for and say why if you haven't reached them why haven't you reached them and and that's really really important because in the past I don't think we've we've ever done that and I think when when clubs and the game becomes more accountable for for equality and diversity and inclusion I think that's where we're we're where ultimately we're going to see the progress okay so do you think I guess it's well, maybe it's not a loaded question. Do you think the FA is doing enough? Do you think all the actions they put into place have gone far enough? 
Or do you think they need to be a little bit more aggressive still? I I have never in the time that I've been in football, and especially now that I'm I'm in within the organisation, I recognise there's a number of people. Uh, not only um, uh, the diversified workforce within the organisation pushing for for equality, but also a number of white allies uh, within the organisation that absolutely recognise that this is a moment in time. This is not a moment in time. I, I, I remember, uh, and I coined this phrase a while back, that you know when BLM started and everyone started calling, this is a seminal moment. Actually, it, it can't be a moment. It's got to be a movement. And I think everyone's recognizing that uh, this this is this 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 piece around um, leveling the playing field is no longer a moment; it's a movement. We're recognizing that in the past we haven't tried hard enough, and 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 in the future we're going to do better. And we've got people within the organization. I can say openly the conversations that I've had with a number of people, right up to the CEO, um, to uh, the coaches that uh, I work with within the organization. There's a real will and commitment to recognize that. We need to learn a little bit more, possibly, but we also need to communicate a little bit better. But we're doing that with our strategy. And we've we've hung our hat on, on a game-changer objective, which says a game free of discrimination. That's exactly what it says. And so, you know, we will address those issues. Uh, we will come out and, and, and like, like the, the recent statement that we've made uh, around some of the uh, the the stuff that's going on in Twitter and Instagram and and bringing uh, you know a number of uh, all the football partners together with a letter to um to Twitter and Facebook around you know what exactly are you going to do about this now and I think that in the past that uh, I don't think that's happened uh, we we have a we have a forward moving organization that recognizing that change is is critical because if we don't change I promise you we'll get left behind. But uh, Abdul, there's a there's a quote I remember you saying. It's been attributed to you years ago. You said that if we don't swim in the ocean, we won't know the sharks out there. <laughs> this was said, I think, almost like ten years ago. And I think it was re- in, in what it was in reference to was uh, more specifically to the playing side of things of South Asians who play in Asian only tournaments, Asian only leagues. And I think the quote was regarding players needed to move into more mainstream leagues to understand how the system works. And I think that's something that you've addressed today, understanding how that system works. I think when you're from the outside of the FA, that's what you're saying. And then today you mentioned about understanding and then deconstructing and dismantling the processes to make change happen, right? So do you feel all those years of activism that you've done previously has helped and and, and come to this moment where you're now in the system, you can make that happen. But just say 10 years ago, you probably wanted a rate of change to happen quicker. And now you're realizing there's going to be some quick wins, but ultimately systemic change is going to be gradual and probably going to be more beneficial to a generation that comes after us rather than those that are currently around right now. I, 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 what I will push back against is, is that, um, uh, that, that generational change will come, but it, 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 it should be happening now. I don't want to waste another generation. I definitely don't want to waste another generation of quality players. I don't want to waste another generation of quality coaches. The time is now. So, you know, when we uh, work and, and you're right about um, understanding the system. Yeah. It, it, and I remember the quote and, you know, those quotes are always going to uh, come back to me, but it's a, it's a fair one right now, because I think that when you think about, um, in particular, okay, uh, understanding what what the process looks like. You know, we talked off air about you know um, the rules of engagement, um, 
and I think in the past, I suppose, uh, I, I wanted to play the game, but I didn't know the rules. I know the rules now. I'm playing the game. Uh, and and But it isn't a game. Uh, it, it, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's about opportunity. It, it, it's, you know, all those things that Rachel talked about when she talked about vis- uh, visibility and, uh, and, and opportunity. Uh, and, and I think that it's really important that, you know, we grasp the moment. We, we have got a moment right now in which there are a number of, uh, number of everyone in the industry is listening. Uh, it's just up to us now to articulate exactly what the challenges are out there, but also develop programs which enable us to, 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 to get us to a level playing field and go off the B of the bang, which is important. And I think that, you know, um, understanding that and, and understanding what, what the game can offer us, but also what, what, what we as uh, within the game can offer uh, the football communities as well. Uh, and although I'm sitting in that, um, that, that professional game, it, area i i also recognize that you know i was a grassroots coach for a, for a couple of decades and i recognize the issues and challenges that are in grassroots but i also know that that you know i want to i want to leave that ladder down it's um z uh when i left six on six on college uh as their as their first team coach um five years ago to take on this role um I was there for a number of years and the principal said to me, uh, Butch, uh, you know, uh, let's have a little bit of a leaving do for you. I think they were pleased to see me go, to be honest with you. Okay. Get me out the door quickly enough. So I, I kind of like, they, they said, Butch, uh, if the principal said to me, Butch, what's, what's the one thing that you're going to take away with you from sixth form? And I said, the doorstop. And, the, and he went, the doorstop. And I went, yeah. Cause I goes, I'm going in an organization, right. That in the past people have gone in and then what they've done is shut the door behind them. What I'm going to do is go in and put the doorstop in and make sure that people follow me. And I think that's really, really important that we recognise, OK, that, you know, uh, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. We don't only want to identify and recruit. We want to employ. We want to retain. And then we want to promote. And we want those leaders who, who are going to be promoted are going to be diverse thinkers who are going to give us a different lens on what the game can look like and what we have to do, all of us, is reimagine a new football future in which everyone gets a chance. Fantastic. Right, Butch, how long have you got? I've, I've, I've got about five, uh, five minutes before that phone rings. Okay. So I'm um, more than happy to maybe grab uh, another question if you, if you want. Or otherwise, you can you can let me off the hook now, and I can I can disappear. Z, I where did you where did you nick that quote from? Uh, this well is done, a time mate. before social media and internet, so got got a nice little archive. He's <laughs> <laughs> got all his clippings. you, mate. Oh, I, I, you know what? I've got a question, which I'm sure Kevin will love, because um, me and Kevin, you talked about Man United managers and stuff like that, um, and. I think so. Me and Kevil had a little discussion about Rooney getting um, about Rooney getting a manager's gig over people who are more qualified, and Kevil was saying it's about experience and stuff. So, do you think it's possible? Because football's got to be one of the only industries where just having been in it trumps sort of experience and qualifications and coaching. Because if you look at American football, for instance hardly any of their coaches have played the game professionally, but they've risen up the ranks. They've learned along the way. Do you think, can you ever see that happening in, in the Premier League? 
there's an up. There's always going to be an up. There's always going to be somebody that that comes from a, a, a non-playing background that will understand the game and revolutionise the game. There always will be. Um, it would be great if it was a black and Asian coach, because what that will prove is that you know it will probably dismiss a number of those um, uh, negative stereotypes that they might have about um, uh, the coaches that come from that background. So. Uh, and I, I think this piece around, you know, recognising that, you know, those who have been in the game for a number of years, especially players, you know, not the greatest players don't always make the best coaches. You know, you just have to look at Bobby Charlton uh, and recognise that, you know, he had a stint at, uh, at managing and, you know, it wasn't the greatest. But then, you know, you get others that have not played at the greatest level and and, and go on to to really transform the game. And so... I think it's important that um, if the game is open to all of those uh, those diverse types of coaches coming into it, then there'll be an opportunity there. Um, you know, Wayne Wayne Rooney uh, uh, has has proven over a, a few games while, while whilst he's been caretaker that possibly he can do the job. But we also know that if we look at Frank at, at Chelsea. That you know, we also know the tenure of uh, of a manager is a short one, and it only you know you. I think it's always uh, the the saying is you're only three games away from the sack. So you know, if that is the case, you recognise that you need to do things quite quickly. And 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 I, I think the day the days have gone is where you build that sort of um uh you 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 sort of build that kingdom in which you know you 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 have this incredible uh legend like Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger's who who have been in the game for 20 25 years and have had the time to to build incredible teams um we need to go back to that we need to recognize and and clubs need to recognize that if you're going to if you if you want true talent to come through and you need to have a long longer term plan but the nature of the game doesn't recognize that you know the nature of the game wants to win titles immediately and uh you know supporters want success overnight and as soon as they um you know they have a billionaire coming in they want to smash the millions and and win it and i i I think it's 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 always the case that in particular in the case of professional players that are transitioning into coaching some of them uh you know uh, are fortunate to be in the right place at the right time others are not i think that we need to sort of like take the luck away and, and and start developing um uh a, a talent pool that are ready uh, for the next opportunity. And I think that's where my role comes in. It's developing a talent pool that are ready for the next opportunity. They're qualified. They've, you know, they've had the experience. Um, they they know how to interview. And then they go in there with a real vision as to what they want to do. And I think that's where I think the next crop of real talented coaches are going to come from. And, and let's hope they're homegrown. They're English uh, and, you know, they they recognise that um, they all have a job to do, which is for ultimately for England to win the next World Cup with, you know, skillful players that, you know, like Brazil lit up the 1970 World Cup. Let's hope, you know, the Fodens and the uh, and and others who are, who, are, who are incredible, the Grealishes of this world will enable us to do that ourselves and we'll build another generation. And, you know, it'll only take one World Cup, Apu. We win one World Cup. Um, English football will be looked at differently right across the world and it can happen because we've got the quality. Fantastic. We look forward to it. Butch, thank you very much. 